Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay, but you usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing. I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell. This week's episode was recorded live during a charity live stream on the Geekscape YouTube channel. We're joined by Geekscape founder Jonathan London to discuss What's Up by Four Non Blondes, a polarizing song that either has you plugging your ears or screaming along. The band's career might have been short-lived, but lead singer Linda Perry's songwriting career has been a beautiful party. Should Four Non Blondes have took a deep breath, got real high, and made another album though? We figure out what's going on in this episode. Or whatever that means. Into a crisis times when I'm lying in bed just to get it all out what's in my head. One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed. And you can 
Welcome, Jonathan. You are here to talk about Four Non-Blondes, What's Up? Which, first question, do you like this song? Are you a fan I, of this song? I am, and I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think that I also liked this song at the time. The problem with this song is that this has become a karaoke go-to <laughs> if you're at a karaoke <laughs> bar. And there has never, ever, ever in the history of humankind been a good performance of What's Up by Four Non-Blondes at karaoke. It has been painful, probably caused me to leave the bar that I'm at anytime someone has done this. So that is my major problem with this song. It's also like a four plus minute song too and i think that anybody who goes to karaoke and doesn't keep the ball moving and just mm -hmm. does like a four minute song yeah that better be a damn good performance uh i think karaoke is great when everybody keeps it three minutes and under yeah and just it's also keep, the, keep it moving the song in general just from the start i could see how this song rubs people the wrong way a lot of the songs that we cover on here are very polarizing people will either love them or despise them I kind of like this song, but I can totally understand why someone would absolutely hate this song. Linda Perry's vocal delivery in this song is grating at times. It is frustrating and aggravating in a lot of ways. I kind of think it's fun. I think it's a very fun delivery. It's, If nothing else, it is memorable. So I got to ask, did either one of you listen to the full album? Because <laughs> Yes, I did. So Fortnite Blondes has a very similar career trajectory to one of my favorite bands from this show, New Radicals, in the sense that they recorded one album, broke up before there was ever a second album, and their lead singer went on to have a much more successful career writing songs for other people. have to say, listening to that album today... It is, to steal a phrase that Chris likes to use, it is the most 1991 album I think I could have ever listened to. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that was the, those couple of years, like, produced, like, bands that I loved. I've been wanting to do the Spin Doctors on this show. As soon as y'all make it two-hit wonder, like, I'm on. Like, I want to talk Spin Doctors. <laughs> but th I think that this is one of those five songs from this era where it just immediately transports you. To where you were when you heard this song and especially that tarzan yell singing that's like <laughs> it's, it just sounds like the tarzan ay, ay, ay. <laughs> like like she just goes off and i i like the vocals i listened to the whole album and i kind of agree with linda perry when they made this album and she knew the song was going to be a hit and she told the record label like let's please not focus uh, like don't even put the song on the album they'd really cleaned up the song and gotten rid of all the imperfections that she loved about it what and it yeah, so so she there were loved, more. <laughs> there were more yeah, like weird things she, about this song. Yeah, she wrote this song in her bedroom while she she had just gotten a puppy, nice. and she could hear uh, the other member of the song uh, of the band, um, Krista. She was the bass player at the time, and uh, she could hear Krista having sex down the hallway because they were <laughs> roommates, and she was playing the song, and in Krista runs down the hallway and says. Hey, what is that? You got to bring that into practice. That was really good. And like Linda Perry <laughs> likes stuff that is, you know, Velvet Underground and Zeppelin and all that stuff that had like weird stuff in the songs. And, and she liked the imperfections and the, the producer, the record label kind of ironed all that stuff out. 
and Linda Perry was really unsatisfied with both this song and how it came out and the album and they did start recording a second album but she was like I'm not going through this again y'all are taking everything that's interesting about the music and getting rid of it and that was like a big blow to her and she knew that if we if we come out with this song which was the second single no one remembers the first single to prove her right this is going to dominate the album and no one's going to remember we need to build slow and this song came out and that's all anybody looked to them for and no one remembered any of their music and they weren't a band they were a song are you telling me that chris de hillhouse mid-sex went Hold on a second. <laughs> I, it what, depends on how what is long that beautiful sound. <laughs> what is that amazing sound I hear from down the hall when she heard, Oh my God, do I pray? <laughs> I genuinely thought that this story was going so differently because it started with buying a puppy. Yeah, she, and I was she, like, you oh, got to read like the way the puppy was howling. Like, no. I don't so, so it, we'll, we'll get to it, but I think in like, in, in 2019 or so she did an interview with rolling stone because by that point she had produced a bunch of amazingly successful songs for like pink and christina aguilera and in like these pop groups which was something else that she never thought she was going to be a part of was pop music she wanted to be darker and more like weird rock and roll and she's doing this interview for rolling stone and she tells this story and yeah you know krista runs down the hallway and says this is amazing you got to bring this into practice and it was so amazing that nobody really remembers too much more that they did which is really a shame because her career shows that she was pretty talented that she is really really talented she's still doing this and she's still really good at it well the other thing that i I want to mention because you brought up the spin doctors right now like the spin doctors seem like the perfect band for like four non-blondes to be playing shows with. But mm-hmm. the only band that I saw in the entire Wikipedia that was mentioned that they played a show with was Primus. And I couldn't think of a more <laughs> like hot water to cold water movement than going to a show to watch four non-blondes open and then be immediately followed by Primus in 91, which would have been like pre My Name is mud but they're up there doing like jerry was a race car driver at this point yeah but it was also a showcase in like call in like in san francisco so people were ready for that stuff and That's fair. this is yeah. like a cmj style but west coast showcase in san francisco and i remember in college radio going to cmj and just they didn't i mean these bands are just slapped together it was like going to south by southwest like you see people on the same bill and you don't unless it's a, a straight record label showcase and it's just a bunch of bands getting in where they can get in. Uh, yeah, you're going to see people up next to each other. But that being said, like early 90s, it's some pretty eclectic stuff, man. Like, yeah, for sure. They describe this as open. neo. They describe this as neo folk, which I think, honestly, like as big as grunge was, I would say that's probably the second biggest modern rock sound in like the early 90s was <laughs> those like acoustic guitar like kind of folk, like I think of like Blind Melon. I think of another band that was on the charts at this time, Soul Asylum. Like that kind of folk influence, but like with just enough of that Seattle sound blended into it. Well, a and bit. I saw them both in concert. Those bands that you just mentioned, like <laughs> Blind Melon. My buddy, we went to see them open for Smashing Pumpkins at the big fairgrounds outside of Austin, and we got separated from our friend Jake. And no cell phones. You can't find somebody. You get separated at a fairground. 
And I remember Jake freaking out because it's also like right after, you know, the early 90s, the AIDS epidemic, and then like realizing like we all had to read that Ryan White book in, in high school, in middle school. Do you remember that Ryan White book about the, yes. the poor kid who, who got AIDS through a yes. uh, transfusion. blood transfusion? Yep. And so, you know, we're in middle school. We're not very smart kids and we're definitely not aware of the truth about the epidemic. And I remember someone, Jake claims that somebody in the pit stuck him with a needle. Oh. <laughs> and he lost his mind. Jeez. And like when we finally found Jake, like an hour later, he's like, We gotta go. I gotta figure this out. Like, I don't know what happened. I like he thought his life was over. And he probably just like ended up getting poked by somebody who had something sharp in their leather jacket or something. Like it was a rock and roll giant massive concert. Like, sorry, dude. Like, I don't know. But he was freaking out. He was like, Oh no, no, no. Oh god. He thought it was Pretty sad. I'll be honest. I'm. It. I'll be honest. I'm freaking out a little bit right now. We need to change the subject because that is a very scary thing. To but think yeah, it was about. Blind Melon. That's a horror movie right there that I can't believe hasn't been that's made like a, yet. Yeah, that's that an A24 is, film. I listened to this album three times in a row while I cleaned my house before we recorded this, and I gotta say, it's a lot funkier than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Well, right. So yeah. I want to talk about that because. Something that blew my mind in doing research, and I'm not saying that this was Linda Perry. I'm not saying anything. I have no information on this, right? But the Four Non Blondes was formed by a guitarist, a bassist, and a drummer who formed a band as a group of friends, and then they met Linda Perry and were like, that's the vocalist we need. And somehow, by the time they got to the recording studio, two of those three members were fired from being in the band. Yeah, the producer was like, you're out, and you're out. (laughs) Wow. But he fired the guitarist because he said she wasn't a strong enough guitarist for the band, right? Afterwards, she went on to play guitar for Parliament Funkadelic, which I feel like might be a little (laughs) bit more guitar involved than the four non-blocks. Yeah, she still plays for George Clinton. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) She's had a long career with George Clinton for like over 15 (laughs) years. She might be in PCU for all we know. (laughs) Is is there a chance that she got fired from the four non-blondes and then she went, I'm going to show you you non-blondes what's up and just played guitar nonstop every day (laughs) until she joined Parliament? Is there a chance that happened or was it just... They didn't like her personality and kicked her out of the band. That sounds probably like more of what happened, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I think I'd like to believe the like, I'm just going to eat, sleep, and just live off guitar playing until I'm good enough yeah. for George Clinton and the Parliament Funkadelics. Yeah. It'll do that to somebody is be like, oh, you want to kick me out? All right. Well, I'll just keep going then. And then you do. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. That's a movie in itself right there. But, yeah, I guess it was just whoever was working is like Linda Perry is the talent here. She undoubtedly has range. She undoubtedly, by her resume, can write songs. Yeah, I mean, funk on this album and also felt like some southern rock or something. Like, it's just this amalgamation of all these bands you're talking about. Everyone from Soul Asylum, Spin Doctors, um, everybody that had that. It was the early 90s. Remember how stuff was yeah, popular Ani DeFranco got in the mid 90s? Sure. Like sure. huge. Huge. Right. Right. Yeah, I it's like kind of like white people with dreads <laughs> at festivals with hemp necklaces gonna, but also you're going to get like stuck with heavy the music. It's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely 
Chris is uh, certainly describing the vibe of like what Woodstock 94 tried to be for sure, which was definitely, you know, I watched that Woodstock 99 documentary and it starts off with some footage from 94 and there's a lot of hemp necklaces and white people with dreadlocks out there. Like that was. And devil sticks. And devil sticks. Devil sticks. The devil sticks need to make a comeback. We brought up their name. I think I actually like their name less reading the real reason on it beyond just like, I just assume they're like, hey, we're not blonde. Let's just call ourselves the four non-blondes. The, the real reason is that they felt like a woman who had blonde hair, who had kids who had blonde hair, were judging them <laughs> um, because they didn't fit into the California lifestyle, which, I mean, feels like a very 23 to 24-year-old perspective of how things were when I think the reality is that that woman absolutely was paying them no mind whatsoever and just moving I, on with their life. <laughs> I thought it was just the general vibe of like <laughs> the, of the, you know, the Pamela Anderson's and Jenny McCarthy's and whatever of the world being the people that, you know, were put into the limelight and were famous. And they're like, yo, we're, we're non blondes. And I think that probably appealed to a lot of women who weren't blonde. You know, there is kind of a, a bias I notice against blondes sometimes in my conversations. But then you I got like Cheryl Crow and Liz Fair busting out really around that time too. And they were not blonde. Sure. And it's, it, it makes me think what Matt was saying. And I started laughing, thinking about being in your young twenties and thinking yourself different, but the level of umbrage and spite you have to everybody else in order to define who you are, you're almost hostile. So I can imagine them, like Matt said, sitting there and the woman pays them no mind and they're like, yeah, F you too, just out of a complete <laughs> unprovoked need to be like other. And it reminded me of this time I was living in New York and there was a, a street kid, it, was, it is girlfriend, and he was selling, he was trying, you know, he was trying to get some some change donations cash whatever he was on the subway right uh and so he's sparing for change and he was trying to sell these postcards that he was putting he was calling them his art but it was yeah. a postcard sized piece of cardboard that he'd taken off of a box somewhere up on the street somewhere and he had used his girlfriend's makeup in some whiteout to <laughs> draw on this thing and it was some of the worst effing artwork you've ever seen in your life and I was trying to be polite. The It's almost a completely empty subway car. He comes over and goes, hey, do you want to buy some artwork? And I was like, uh, uh, is that your artwork? I should have just said no right then and there. But I, I was trying to be nice. Uh, I said, is that your artwork? And he goes, yeah. And he hands it to me. Don't ever take this stuff. This is like the lesson that Derek learned later when he visited L.A. And he was walking down the, the Venice. And somebody was like, hey, you like hip hop? And just handed him the CD. And then it's like, you know, sorry, buddy hot potato so homeless hot potatoes we're gonna call it and so i ended up touching this postcard with the, with the white out and the the eyeliner drawing on it and he's like pretty good huh and i was like it's interesting right which does not mean it is good it means yeah. and so i said here you go and he says you don't want to buy it and i said no i you know it's not it's really not my my thing and he goes suit yourself and then the door opens and they get off and i was like try, still trying to be nice and salvage you know my part in the social construct and he goes in the social agreement he goes and i was like hey good, good luck take care and he goes fuck you i don't need your fucking luck i'm a genius and she's like and his girlfriend's <laughs> like yeah he's a genius you're a fucking idiot this is gonna be worth a million dollars wow 
Hey, mate, how do you know? You didn't follow up. Maybe yeah. it is. <laughs> that, maybe that was Banksy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think of that? But when Matt maybe. was talking about, you know, Linda, Linda Perry ended up being successful. You know, I don't think she carried the same amount of hostility that this guy on the subway did either. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious... Join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. I have a big question when it comes to the music video for this. Is Linda Perry steampunk? No, she's she. what she's wearing is like kind of Mad Hatter, like... Mad Hatter. It was like, because in the other videos, she's wearing that Mad Hatter hat. And I'm like, yo, they need to do a video where it falls out and a bunch of rabbits pop out or something. Like like something with that like hat needs to go crazy. Or they you want a music video. The 90s were a time for wacky hats. What if the she, 90s were a time for wacky it? hats. We could talk about how they did the Airheads theme song. But what if she removes the hat and she's one of those uh, SNL characters, Dan Aykroyd had, what were they called? The um, With the long, with the tall head? Cone heads. The cone heads. Yeah. Like she, <laughs> yeah. What if she was just hiding a cone head? And suddenly you know that it's like a tie-in, a 91 tie-in for the release Dude, of the movie. That would have been I genius. agree with what? Chris, though. 90s were prime weird hat time. One of my favorite yeah. bizarre performances is if you can, if you look up when Tribe Called Quest and uh, Leaders of the New School perform scenario on the Arsenio Hall show, Busta Rhymes had a giant cat in the hat. Like one of those, remember you could buy those giant like yeah. felt yes. cat in the hat hats. He has it on the whole time. And then it gets to his verse, and he takes off the hat, and you think something really cool is going to happen. He flips the hat upside down. And he starts doing it like, watch as I combine you through the mind. And he's like reaching his hand into the hat, and then he just pulls it inside out, and it's a different design, and he just puts it back on his head. <laughs> that's so anticlimactic. <laughs> that's, no, that's awesome. That is so anticlimactic. I mean, <laughs> the 90s, 
weren't just a time for wacky hats. They were a time for, in specific, cat in the hat hats. Yes. That was the time for them. <laughs> the jinkos and, and everything. And having a giant mushroom running up your leg of your jeans or of your pants. Like the, just a giant what? weird mushroom. Remember those jinkos that had like the giant mushroom on the side? <laughs> no, but they sound awesome. <laughs> 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 hey, what I thought you were going to say, Jonathan, would be amazing is if she finally, if Linda Perry finally took off the giant hat and you know what spilled out? More Tinier little Linda Perry's. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Actually, that that totally destroys what What's I was gonna going say. But on? I, I was gonna say a giant giant locks of blonde hair. Oh, how sick would that be? <laughs> if if she, that was then, the big reveal. And then she years throws later. the hat on the ground and says she quits. That was the day yeah. that the band died. <laughs> yeah, that would be sick. <laughs> But the little Linda Perry's popping out would be even better. <laughs> it's um, like Army of Darkness. Jonathan, I want to correct you too. Let's not let's not throw falsities out here. Okay. They had a song in Airheads. They did not do the Airheads theme song. They had a song in Airheads. Yeah. Yes, they, they covered a, a Van Halen yeah. song, and I just oh, yeah, recently watched Airheads. So it's during the scene where they raid the record portion of the radio station. They're grabbing all the CDs to play. It's their cover of "I'm the One." by Van Halen. That and that must have been there. painful for somebody who like saw the commercialization of their music as something that like wasn't like was counter to everything they wanted to do as an artist. That must have been a pretty that and that was a probably a pretty difficult chapter right there. I don't know. They they commercialized the shit out of that band for 2 years. They were on that soundtrack, they were on the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack. Mm-hmm. They did the tribute album to the Carpenters. They did the tribute album to Led Zeppelin. They were they were putting their stuff out there on I don't totally buy that per se but you think that's yeah. part of the narrative of being like an edgy counter culture like artist is part of it yeah you, you I, have to say that you didn't want to do that stuff just to like sell it for for sure because there's something like that's the thing that kind of always bugged me about the movie singles <laughs> is like it's not like this was an indie film no it's cameron crow yeah you're like oh no we're we're not part of the counter culture but we will star in this cameron crow movie <laughs> like like i i think that there's a little bit of i think 92 93 you had to pretend that you really hate it the fact that you were famous but like people who hate that they're famous don't agree to star in a movie made by like one of the biggest directors in Hollywood at that time. Are we talking about Gen X now? Is that what we're talking about? Because yeah, Gen I think X we're just is shit on Gen X as a whole. That thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Like, we don't want to yeah. work. We don't want to do anything. We don't want our parents to be around. We want to sneak in. You know, how many times, Chris, growing up, did you have to like figure out how to pry open a window and climb in from the outside because you didn't have a key to get home? Or the key was somewhere else. You know what I mean? A couple times. A lot. A couple like, times. I just remember yeah. all we being like, oh, the neighbor's going to see me climbing in to the house again because I have no idea where the key is. Definitely. I, I've climbed in through at least the window once or twice because I left the key at the house coming when I left for school That's or whatever. That's a generational thing. That's a Matt Kelly thing. That is a Matt Kelly thing. I think Gen X, it can be summed up in two words. <laughs> you know what those two words are? Is a reality bites? Janine. Oh, Janine Garofalo. <laughs> yes. she was in. She was in Reality Bites. Yeah, I think Reality Bites sums up the Generation X more than anything else because, oh, like, God. don't get me started on that movie. No, I just all I'll say. I've said it a million times. Watch that movie. There is zero reason for her to go with Ethan Hawke over Ben Stiller in that movie. It is a terrible choice. <laughs> but think about the value yeah. system. Matt, these are people, myself included, who when they watched Ferris Bueller were like, 
oh god i love him he's so hilarious and you think of it ferris bueller now and he's the biggest piece of garbage like he is a complete <laughs> asshole and zach morris dude horrid <laughs> human beings just like complete yeah. scam artists and you just wonder and it's like how did things get worse well we idolize zach morris in ferris bueller who had the value system of i mean they're i mean they're probably gonna be presidents one day but it's just <laughs> yeah, the way it works <laughs> they're just grifters yeah, for sure bringing it back around to the four non-blondes um yeah i don't know what what else what was going on when this song hit well, it peaked at 14 that's it this was one of my favorite things that i've had to write down for any of these chart notes because i just think this is really funny so the number one song chris you'll be very excited ub40's cover of can't help falling in love with love you love it the Sliver era. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a great film. The, no, the number two song in America was Tag Team Whoop, There It Is. But number 11 was 95 yes. Cells Woot, There It Is. So Woot, <laughs> There It Is. I was a bigger fan of Woot, There It Is, but somehow Whoop There It Is became the. <laughs> we got to write the third. What would the third one be like? Whoop. whoop. Um, was, was, did one have a P? One had an M, one P, had an and M one, one had a T. T. So that leaves yeah. you a few more letters Whoop. that you can work with. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to say wool because that's an actual word. Yeah, it has to not be a word, right? Uh -huh. How about wook? There it is. Wook. I'll take wook. Can we write wook? There it is. Now, which one was like the tag team back again? Was that in both sides? That songs? was tag team. Whoop. That's, okay. That's tag team I want to know, did they ever come back again? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did so. They did so. Yeah, because they did an Adam's Family about? song, right? Oh, okay. There <laughs> no, we go. No, 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 no. They came back recently in those commercials. Wait. Is that coming back or is that like, you can't it was the same trick? That was a big comeback. What 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 was that for? That was for money. <laughs> I, I know, but it was for like was it Geico? It wasn't Geico, right? Oh, scoop there it is. So yeah, it was for Geico. Okay. Yeah, scoop there it is. Yeah, yeah, right. Such variety in the top 10 so these are just a few of the songs that i picked out that that are still heavy hitters to this day you've got proclaimers i'm gonna be 500 miles at number three all right, all right. or at number four onyx slam at five the already mentioned soul asylum runaway train was at number eight. Oh my god <laughs> and and there then, were multiple versions of that video because they kept saving like having runaway kids like found yeah. Do you remember that Wow, really? Oh my god, Chris, the whole point of this video when you watch it, it has yeah, images. Yeah, I the video. I didn't know they found the so kids. So they had images of these kids, missing kids in the video, and they made several versions of this video because yeah. some of the kids would come came home. And yeah. they right. that that video was responsible for so many kids coming back and re, like finding their being found. It was awesome. The one kid that wasn't found tried to sell me a postcard on the New York subway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, did it also result in some kids getting lost to try to get in the Soul Asylum video? <laughs> it's possible. Maybe. And then, Chris, I put this on there because she's your girl. At number 10, Janet Jackson with If. Wow. If I was your girl. Yeah. But, like, discovering this. Here's the reason I love this song and the reason I love this era. Because it was not one of my older brother's Iron Maiden tapes which was like my, like I didn't have my music. I had the, like my first tape I ever owned was the Billy Idol song that had like money, money on it and all that stuff. And you know, that was, that was my tape and that was my music, but I didn't have my music. I had my older brother like letting me have an iron, like Iron Maiden tapes when he was done with them, Metallica tapes when he was done with them, but it really was never, it was too, it was too hard for me. It's too tough yeah. for me. And uh, Mother's Milk, the, the Chili Peppers was like the one where I was like, oh, I only really liked this because it had 
boobs on it and then i liked it and i liked the stevie wonder covers amazing and i liked the chili peppers and i was like what's more music like this and then thank goodness kurt cobain blew it open because suddenly like a lot of bands are like the chili peppers and doing the funky thing and doing the eclectic music and now you have all sorts of cool bands to listen to and that of course led to the record store shopping in austin and seeing a comic book looking poster on the outside window of sound exchange on Waterloop, and it was for Kerplunk, and that was like once I discovered Lookout Records, it, I discovered everything. And that was that was hmm. that whole era, you know. So now you have my little biography on how I got into there you music. Yeah, and there was never a bad album released by Lookout Records uh, from that point never. on. Never, no. <laughs> <laughs> nothing but the hits coming out of Lookout. Well, Records. Well, we talked about it a lot, Chris, but that can of pork, oh. Lookout Records, like comp was yeah. gold. <laughs> Yeah, changed my life. Changed my life perfect. forever. The, John, before we even hit record, uh, before this live stream even happened, we did mention one story that I do think is worth bringing up uh, that, that I found on the wiki page about the song What's Up, and I think you had read the same thing. But basically, the song was written well before the Four Non Blondes, really. And at the time, both Linda Perry and the lead singer for Third Eye Blind, Stephen I Jenkins. think it's Stephen Jenkins, yeah. were hanging out at a diner and they were just playing each other's songs. Like, oh, this is a song that I'm working on. And at that diner meeting, she showed him What's Up and he showed her Semi-Charm Life. And they were both like, man, these are really great songs. I think so we got something here. And uh, it was just recently that uh, Stephen was doing an interview and he said, it's not until recently that I realized that those two optimistic teenagers in the diner had just handed two songs to each other that would collectively sell 17 million records. It's insane. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. I mean, that's a cool story. I've heard that Stephen Jenkins dude's a total doofus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, from a few that's people. the word on the street. That's the word on the street. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess my reliable source is Jimmy World, who, I mean... <laughs> I think I consider them a reliable source because I like their band and they a lot. Put a lot of the work in, so they've, you know, what I mean, they've worked. Yeah. Jimmy World has worked with so many bands in the time that they've been around, that right. Throwing that word out is, you know, it's probably pretty exclusive. Yeah, it's rare that you see bands call out other exactly band, like popular band call out another popular band. So it does seem, oh, dude. You know what's funny is I have a friend who played a show with them too. I think he had also had a similar story. That dude being a total doofus. <laughs> Doofus, doofus is the word I'm choosing to use on this live stream. <laughs> Motherfucker, I wrote Semi Charm Life. What did you write? Dude, the <laughs> like, most entitled yeah. I ever saw was the 97 Warp Tour. And it was Kid Rock. Yeah. Oh, shocker. Uh, and he came out. He came out, and the crowd almost immediately booed him, which, you know, it's like the, the Warp Tour. Everybody's being punky and edgy, but they didn't boo Eminem two summers later or Katy Perry two summers later they were booing Kid Rock because he sucked and he's like yeah. suck my nuts I ain't finishing this fucking set y'all don't deserve it and everybody started cheering <laughs> I mean people were throwing nice. stuff at him not unlike the attitude I got when I didn't buy a postcard covered in whiteout I'm trying to remember who it was there was some random band I wish I could remember who it was they played the gathering of the juggalos and they just got pelted with bullshit like people were throwing like beer bottles and shit at them the entire set, but because they never stopped playing by like the final song, the the crowd had turned positive towards them because they're like, all right, they put up we'll with it. it. I guess they're okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> Let's stick it out. You know what? My brother, he wrestled at the gathering, and y'all treated him really well. So I actually really love Juggalos. Can, can I tie this all in a big bow yes. so perfectly? Why did we not think of it? Whoop, there it is. <laughs> whoop, whoop, there it is. <laughs> whoop, whoop, there it is. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, so this let's... Been fun. We, we got to talk about Thunder Blunder or Non Blondes. Jonathan. Okay, this song is Thunder because it's got all the talent involved and it was a stratospheric hit for the band. It was so. It was such a... It, it, this isn't Blunder just based on Linda Perry's career. Like She's an incredible songwriter and she knew going in that this was going to be a hit and it was. I feel like a one-hit thunder is something that's a little flash in the pan and wasn't in a, you know, it wasn't replicable. And her songwriting shows this is replicable. It's like she can write these hits. Yeah. Okay. Matt? Uh, I mean, I'm also going to go with Thunder. I actually was shocked how much I really enjoyed this album <laughs> from front to back when listening to it today. Uh, this is absolutely my wheelhouse of music. Uh, and just two quick things, just throwing it out there because I can't believe we didn't mention it. Um, obviously, this song became a massive meme with the He-Man uh, lip sync video that I think is like still <laughs> right. among like one of the most like watched YouTube videos of all time. I had this real sad moment when I was typing up the lyrics in the notes, and the opening line is "25 years into my life and still," and I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> 25 I, it's been a long ass time since i was 25 yeah. it's real upsetting to think that she was 25 writing this song because i think as a kid i'm like looking at that video being like these old people and now i'm like oh god I'm and so shout out to linda perry for the uh, charity that she still does putting on concerts and things like that to to benefit groups like the la gay and lesbian teen center i totally got that name wrong but it's a place that i've definitely donated things to um, yeah. but she's no, Linda a, Perry she seems pretty, pretty cool. amazing actually and, yeah and she was married to Melissa Gilbert for a stretch and who doesn't love that there you go all right Chris <sighs> why you gotta stack drop the deck that she's on you, like dude. we stack why, the why on you gotta drop that she's like a really good person on top of everything else because I was I wasn't doubting like Linda Perry yeah she wrote beautiful so you're not gonna be able to say she's a blunder I mean she wrote a lot of hits but four non blondes I'll never listen to that album again. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. I listened to it three times today. Those are the last three times I'm ever going to listen to that album. <laughs> What's up? At this point, all th the enjoyment of that song, just through repetition, has been sucked out of it for me. Like, when I hear it, I want to change it and add the karaoke aspect to it. And I would say that Four Non Blondes are, you know, not Linda Perry, Four Non Blondes is a blunder and I would be fine with not ever hearing four non blondes again. Yeah. But I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered. No, that's the danger right. of karaoke. Do not audience pick a song for karaoke over three minutes. You're making yourself the enemy. Yep. All right. John, real quick, what are you up to? What is anything you want to promote real quick before I want we tie to promote, up the episode? I'm sorry, Matt. I want to promote the uh, Geekscape Network. Uh, you can find us at our socials on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, all those places. Search for Geekscape, you'll find us, and you'll find a lot of Matt shows, and I really just want you all to go to the GoFundMe linked in this episode description, and uh, and support. Yes. Yep. Yes. Go to, go to Geekscape.net and see what's going on. <laughs> Can't breathe I don't know why you do this to me Stop, please Let me show me some sympathy this has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Vefalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing You Mean the World to Me off the Punchline album Major Motion Picture. 
Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. If you want to start a podcast, you should contact Chris and myself at WeKnowPodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. But I looked it at your door on Valentine's Day. Oh. You mean the world to me. Not sure how to tell you a thing about you. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the head-banging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.